Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Rocks Across the Pond. It's a curling podcast coming to you from Richmond, Virginia. My name is Ryan McGee and joining me, as always, our professor of Peel, Jonathan Habercroft. Jonathan, how are you tonight? Uh, good. I'm tired. It's late. It's late in England. Not that That's late, right. but late-ish. It's not a school night for you, though, is it? Uh, I do not have a morning class, which is why I agreed to record this, but I do, it's like, it's, we have a very weird, there's a very weird university schedule here. So you basically do all your classes up till Christmas. Then you come back and you have this weird review week, which I don't understand. Then we do two weeks of exams and this is the first week of classes. And so this week kind of sucks because I'm both marking exams and launching new classes which are like the two busiest parts of the term so anyway <laughs> that's my yeah. grumble yeah we um, are we're recording this on a wednesday night it's probably going to go up on a monday uh so it is 5:45 here in virginia and it's what 10:45 there yeah 10:45 fantastic that's great um i'm probably going to get to curl soon so that's cool where are you playing? Uh, well, Richmond's, uh, our league, Virginia uh, Curling Club of Virginia's league is going to start March 5th. But before that, uh, it looks like we're going to have a learn to curl, I think, in mid-February. And then we're going to go kind of shake the rust off. We're going to go down to Triangle Curling Club in Durham and curl on some dedicated ice just to down and back on the 29th of February. Just go down there play two games and drive right back to Richmond. So that I'll finally be back on the ice for the first time. Um, first time in months, definitely first time since, since the kiddo was born. Are you going to do arena Nats this year? No. So one it's in Wyoming this year. So that's issue number one. Issue number two is they do arena Nats the first week of May and my son's birthday is May 2nd and I that that I'm 100% not going to be able to 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 skip his first birthday to go to Wyoming to curl um and really <laughs> really until until they move Arena Nationals off of that first week of may i'm not sure when i'll be able to do it <laughs> is that when they always have it now or it's way it's way it's been for a few years now it's like that first week of may uh, maybe it's just to try to get it knocked out before the summer comes so it's not summer curling yeah exactly i know we went a couple times when it was in june which was fine but uh yeah they've they've kind of moved it to that that first week of may the last few years so that's probably going to keep me from doing it anytime soon. And then, um, yeah, going to Wyoming, probably not, probably not something I'm going to be able to do this year. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's a cool spot. It's Wyoming's one of the few States I haven't been to. So yeah, same here. Uh, if I was in an arena club in the U S it actually would be appealing for me to play in that event if it worked. But, um, Probably the reason I haven't been there is because it's not the easiest state to get to either. The, and that's the one thing that I'm kind of interested about, and we'll touch on it more when we get to our big Arena Nationals show that we'll do before the tournament, is 
where they're having it in, I think it's in Northeast Wyoming, it's really difficult to get there. Like there's two flights a day to that regional air, to the regional airport. And both of them are, um, both of them are, are regional, small regional aircraft. So really the only way to get there is to fly to Denver and drive like six hours, I think, to get there, something like that. I'm, I'm, I'm going off of memory, so that that could be wrong, but mm-hmm. it's going to be difficult for some people to get there. Yeah, I'm curious about how how that will affect the uh, entries and all that stuff. But it's also good to move it around. So, yeah, they send out the invites, and then they usually finalize. You know, teams will like, accept the invitation. Um, they usually give them like a month or so to accept the invitation. So I imagine. Here in about a month, they'll announce the final, um, the final lineup of teams. But yeah, that'll be interesting to see as as teams figure out how to get out there. Um, but that'll be that'll be in May. Um, the f- next U.S. Championship that that we'll talk about is U.S. Nationals, and we kind of started to preview that. Started to preview that last week, or yeah, last week with our last show with Joe Calabrese of TESN, and they will be there in Cheney, Washington. That's one of the championships we're going to talk about today. We're kind of we're kind of redoing or uh, doing a second annual championships uh, featured show. Is actually one of our more popular shows last year, so we brought it back. We're going to talk about some national championships that are going on. Here in the middle of what is traditionally playdown season, um, I know a lot of the provincial playdowns are going on in Canada. We've already had a few Scotty's births and a couple of uh, Briar births uh, crowned already, um, and those have been interesting to watch. A lot more of them available on web streaming this year. Um, I was able to watch probably the most probably the most interesting one that I watched was the semifinal where your buddy. Mike Fournier got knocked out in the semifinal uh, at the Quebec Tankard because that was a back and forth game, high scoring, a lot of rocks in play. And then the 10th end was insane um, with a bunch of rocks up in front of the house. And the last three rocks, uh, Fournier did not have hammer, but the last three rocks, um, the the last two by uh, Alec Bedard, who he was playing and, uh, Mike's last rock were all just amazing shots. So that was probably the best game that I've watched uh, so far. Uh, Saskatchewan has done a good job um, showing all of their games as well. I know Northern Ontario has web streams for theirs. Ontario has a pretty high quality uh, broadcast for theirs. Uh, It's been really fun to see how much is available online now. Yeah. I don't know if we'll have it for the English, but if they, we do, Ryan can tweet it out. I will. <laughs> you know I will. Um, it should be. It should be available if it's at Dumfries because they they show a lot of their stuff. Will it only be my misses, or will you show like a shot I make? If <laughs> at least one, like you know, like an open nose hit or something. All right. Yeah. If you if you have a, <laughs> if you if you have a good peel, I'll uh, I'll tweet that one out too. I feel like that's you like. Put this weird pressure on me with peels now. <laughs> I just <laughs> the did it for the alliteration. Like I, I missed my first peel. I, I know I jammed it, and I was just like, I remember saying to myself, "You can't miss peels, man. You're the professor of peel." And then like, <laughs> I actually made all the rest of my peels. <laughs> that week, but it was like 
it's, it's kind of giving me i never thought about that as either my shot or not my shot uh that's because usually you're usually you're it. skipping usually you're not playing second no yeah yeah so that's it, true so the peeling is the second shot um so yeah <laughs> boy i feel like i feel more pressure about that than actually winning the games now to be honest <laughs> <laughs> so, so, so what is more important to you? Because you, in addition to all the championships that we'll go kind of in depth here in just a second, you do have your championship, your uh, the championship for England coming up the second weekend of February. Uh, what is more important to you, winning England or making one hundred percent of your appeals? Uh, making the appeals that matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I think winning England versus making 100% of my peels. It's not going to be, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, what, what was the story about? Um, who was it? Furby or something? There's some guy on Furby's team who had like a really good shooting percentage. One Briar and Furby would just call the shop, but yell out a different thing, and the scorer would. Do you know this story or not? Yeah. Um, it, it, the. They told it on one of the broadcasts once and it was, yeah, whoever the, yeah, it was Furby was the skip and kind of like someone was going back and forth with him on how a shot should be called. And he said, remember, I control your percentage. And he would like tell the guy to tell it to play one shot, but then with his broom would say, you know, I want it here and point in point uh, somewhere else. Uh-huh. Um, so the scorer would think that the shot was supposed to be something completely different uh, and so the guy would score zero, even though he threw the shot that Furby actually wanted. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, maybe I should just chase shooting percentage. Absolutely. Just make the, yeah, all, all that matters, all that matters, man, is making well, the, all, is making the all-star all team. And you don't, you have a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> you got no misses then. Yeah, all you don't have in your team, but you just throw them all through on purpose. <laughs> Zero, you have a your your uh, shooting percentage is null. Null. <laughs> DNP. <laughs> so, with all the playdowns going on, uh, we're also we're going to start talk about some championships. There are some major world births that are going to be decided here the second weekend of February. And we, we did this last year. There's, there's one particular weekend um, and it's usually the second weekend of February where four pretty mate, you know, not counting Canada, I would say like these might be the four most interesting national championships that get played. And that's the U S Scotland, Japan, and Switzerland. Am I completely off base in saying that? Uh, yeah, I think I would say yes. Um, I'm off base. No, 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 you're off base. No, the, the four <laughs> biggest ones. I think the one disappointment is Japan men's isn't going to be a world a world qualifying yep. team now, uh, which is too bad because there's a lot of good teams playing in it. But yep. um, that's the state we're in with world curling these days. Yeah, they expanded expanded the field for worlds and it seems like it's even harder to qualify it for for it now if that if that makes any sense at all wow i mean there's just so even it's just the pace that countries are throwing up national programs is just insane like and and every every time i blink i think like some country who's just maybe two three years ago was not 
anything you'd consider a competitive curling team. They'd be kind of like bouncing between the B and the C. All of a sudden, they've got like some elite coach flying in from Canada and <laughs> spending lots of money and teams falling all over the place and, you know, that country shooting up the standings. So, um, you know, Turkey, I think, is the latest one with mm-hmm. Tony Zumak, previous guest on the show, shooting over there. So they, they kind of just missed out this year on the women's side. Um, but, you know, I I, I think it'll, it won't be long before we have a Turkish team uh, playing in the in the world's other men's or women's. Yeah, I'd agree. And I, I, Turkey's been in... Well, they've been in uh, the A pool. They haven't been at a Worlds. Is that right? I think. I can't recall them being at the Worlds. For the last few years, um, they've been kind of a playoff, a solid playoff lock at, at uh, Junior Bs and kind of going up and down. They've kind of been one of those bubble teams that bounces back and forth. And so when that generate, I think that generation of players is mostly aging out now So and playing in the adult version. So... That's kind. Of, that's the kind of team you look for that uh, kind of emerges as a, a new world's threat. So that you know, or like Yap Van Dorp, the Netherlands. I mean, he's a little bit more established, but that's a country again. You go back five, six years, mm-hmm. not in anyone's radar, but they're now kind of a, a perennial world's team. So, and so these are these are countries where the national team is kind of hand picked, right? There isn't necessarily a play down process. Uh, I don't know about Turkey. Uh, Netherlands is, I, I guess so. It's I think Netherlands is really small. It's even smaller than English curling. It's just one three sheeter, and I I don't know the politics of it all. Uh, I mean, everywhere every, everywhere I've gone, there's been curling politics. And it's a little different, but I, I pretty much you know. Uh, it's it's Yap and his coach Sherry and it's Carlo. It's kind of like that crew's basically played together for years now so i don't know if it's handpicked or that just is the team that's so i mean they are the only ranked team in the netherlands so there's not really another team that has a legitimate claim i guess but um but not a big national championship like the like the countries we're about to talk about uh no no okay so where where do we want to start we've got the u.s scotland japan and switzerland is there one you want to start with USA because the tab is open. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, uh, looking at the sheet here, um, yeah, we'll start. We'll start with the U.S. U.S. Nationals are February eighth through fifteenth. They're being played just outside of Spokane, Washington, in Cheney, which is where Eastern Washington University is, and this is being played at, I guess, a new rec center that they built at. EWU and it looks really nice. It looks like they have a pretty sweet bar. Um, so that's uh, if you're in Washington State um, or if you're near um, if you're near the Palouse, um, mm-hmm. you might you might think about heading out there. That looks like a pretty sweet setup that they're going to have uh, for this event. Um, USA Curling, we 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 saw kind of you know it wasn't a dramatic shift, but we've seen a little bit of a shift this year. Um, on the women's side, we saw a few players kind of take a step back who were in the high-performance program, and they've been replaced by some younger players. Um, and you saw kind of the combination. You saw Corey Christensen get moved from having her own team to getting moved to, to Jamie Sinclair's team. And then you know the third high-performance team 
was is now a group of players that are just outside of juniors. So they did not qualify. That is Team Bear. They did not qualify for this year's nationals. So the only two, I'm sorry, there's three high performance teams that are going to be at this year's nationals uh, team, Jamie Sinclair, that is your three-time defending champion. Um, what is team Roth without Nina Roth skipped by Tabitha Peterson. And then the other high performance team is uh, your newly crowned junior champion, uh, Lainey Strauss. They're a junior team, but they're high performance. They do not get to participate at World Juniors because the U.S. failed to qualify at World Junior Bs. So their consolation prize is they do get a slot at U.S. Nationals. Um, some other familiar faces uh, that are going to be here. Cassie Potter, she's back. We kind of talked about that uh, with Joe in our last show. Uh, she's been to an Olympics. She won this event in 2005. Um, I think she was last in this in 2017 when she won bronze. Uh, she's kind of back. She was a points qualifier, so she did not have to go to the challenge round in order to qualify for this event. Uh, same with Kim Rhyme. Her team was able to earn enough points on tour that they got to skip the qualification, the uh, challenger event and go straight to nationals. Um, Youth kind of got served at that challenger event. You had two junior teams who are not a part of the high performance program who met in the A qualifier, and that was Christine McMakin, which I believe is Sandra McMakin's daughter, and Ariel Traxler from Alaska. They met in the A qualifier. Christine McMakin won that game, and then Ariel Traxler turned around and won the B qualifier. So two junior teams outside of the high performance program qualifying out of the challenger round pretty impressive so you have a bunch of youth at this event i think that's really interesting jonathan yeah i mean i think it's a change in the guard in the women's game uh you mentioned mike fournier earlier he had part of his blog post was like why are young people so good these days in curling (laughs) and i mean i think just the quality of coaching right that um uh, especially in the USA, I think one of the, the kind of pluses of the high performance program over the last decade is it actually has cascaded down a lot of the knowledge and you can just see the improvement in the technical side of the game and the tactical side of the game of uh, a lot of the juniors just coming up to the ranks now. So there's a lot more depth um, at the younger end. And it actually, especially on the women's side, it looks really different from what the women's championship looked like uh, even five, four or five years ago, I'd say. Yeah, and then uh, one last team that we did not mention, uh, Team Workin, which is uh, Rachel Workin playing fourth. They used to be Team Potal, and now Ann Potal is at is at lead, still on, still a part of this team and uh, throwing lead rocks. But you have Rachel Workin I'm throwing fourth rocks. I believe she's in the house too because they they referred to this team as Team Workin, um, but they've I guess have had some lineup changes same thing with team strauss that team was team dutt at the beginning of the year uh and they did they had a switch there where now laney strauss is throwing fourth rocks and calling the game Mm. is it we you know we've we we've kept thinking because the women's side at u.s nationals has been kind of top heavy for a while and we kind of thought that that was starting to change because you've had you've had players go through the high performance program or go through the high performance junior program and then age out and kind of form their own teams 
but is it is it fair to say that it's still pretty um, pretty top heavy here with Team Peterson and Team Sinclair as the two favorites? Uh, I mean, yeah, personally, I, th- I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if Sinclair won, but it feels like this year Peterson's been on, been on such a run, like you know, qualifying in slams, winning you know, international spiels. Um, it's 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 there's kind of clear separation between uh, a first and second place team now, right? There's more than twenty place spots between them in the order of merit. Sinclair's had a, a slightly kind of slower year, I'd say. Uh, so I kind of I kind of favor Peterson this year. Um, I think obviously Sinclair would be the next choice, but then after that, I think it's a pretty good kind of for kind of your next tier. It's like Ryan Potter and Strauss are are not that far apart in the rankings. Um, I personally think Cassie Potter. I, I kind of still in in kind of major championship events. I do think that um, maybe Ruth gets served in terms of being in terms of qualifying, but I think once you get down to those playoff games and must win games, uh, that's where the veteran experience really matters. Mm-hmm. So. I think to me, Team Potter is the most dangerous team uh, in this competition for sure. And I think that the fascinating thing to me is even without Nina Roth, like how Tabitha Peterson has kind of embraced um, being the skip of this team and the success that they've had. And you contrast that with how Jamie Sinclair's team has performed on tour this year. You know, they've only qualified at two of their nine spiels that they've played in, Team Sinclair, but they've won this event three straight times. And in fact, the last two years, they have one loss, and it was to Stephanie Seneker's team, who isn't even in the field. So it's those kind of those those two things really clash for me. So if we wind up seeing, it would not surprise me to see, and I imagine we will see Sinclair versus Peterson in that final. And I'm really not sure what I think wins out. You know, the the team that's been on fire on tour and has gone to slams and on arena ice, on Grand Slam ice, have rolled off wins against Hasselberg, Carey, Tiranzoni, Anerson, Jennifer Jones, Tracy Fleury, versus the team that, you know, their form may not be up to snuff, but they've still been amazing on U.S. Nationals ice. And to me, that would be phenomenal to see those two things go to go against each other in a final between Sinclair's team and, and Team Peterson. Yeah, I mean, to me, they've so Peterson's team has beaten every team in the top five. Yes, <laughs> that's that's just a crazy on Grand Slam ice. Uh, on Grand Slam ice, that's 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 to me that's separation. Not at cl- not at some club where the ice was fudgy and they figured out the other the ice and the other team didn't. This was arena ice, Grand Slam ice, um, with yeah. all the best teams in the world uh, at the event. Yeah, I th- I think I mean again, it's kind of like the one thing, not the one thing, but the the advantage that you you might give to Sinclair is that. They've, they're really good at U.S. Nationals. Exactly. Uh, and he, again, it's that weird thing, right? Of I think championships are a different creature than, than slams. Um, there's so much more pressure there. Mm-hmm. Uh, you only get one chance to do it a year. It's not like the slams, I think, basically are just very elite tournaments. They're, there's not the same pressure to win 
you know, one slam over another, but everyone builds their season for these moments and that pressure can do a funny thing. And so the one really big advantage I think Sinclair has is she's done it the last three years. Mm -hmm. So still has that confidence, but um, I'd say kind of in terms of form, still think Peterson's got the edge. Yeah. And uh, I'm just going to be, I'm going to be fascinated to see what happens when those two play both in the round Robin and possibly in uh, in the championship, um, the men's side, things got kind of interesting this year because John Schuster's team, they've won three of the last five, their last three times that they've gone to worlds, they've made the playoffs. They're not having a great year. Um, and you contrast that with what Corey Dropkins team has done this year, where they've been kind of, they've been the team that's kind of been the up and coming team. In fact, they won the tour challenge tier two event on grand slam ice. Um, probably the biggest result that we've seen out of any U S team all season, uh, men's or women's. Um, and that kind of broke a streak of several consecutive second place finishes. So they could, they really broke through there by, by winning that tournament. Uh, and then they won again later this year at Kuril Masabi. And the important thing about that win was it was their first win against Rich Ruinen all year. So we're going mm. into that, going into that game, Rich Ruinen's team was four and against Dropkin. Uh, and then Corey beats him in the final, uh, at Kuril Masabi. And that was the last time they played. So you, Team Dropkin has gotten two things off their back. They've yeah. they've won they've they finally won an event and they finally beat Rich Ruin in this year. So they have to have so much confidence coming into this tournament, uh, going up against Team Ruinen and Team Schuster, who have uh represented the US at I believe the last four uh between the two teams represented the US at the last four worlds. Um is it time for a changing of the guard or do you think team Dropkin's going to have to wait another year? The only, so the one, the one bit of suspicion I put in those stats, if I was looking at the events that Schuster played in, I would say that there's, there's still a higher quality, right? They played tier one tour challenge as opposed to tier two, mm-hmm. one and three, of the grand slam masters, uh, second at we song, um, like I, I wonder if one possible explanation is that uh, Schuster just kind of still riding on the gold medal can get invites to kind of the A, like the slams and basically the the top class non-slam events, like slam minus, I'd say. And that would be a slightly higher, harder field, and kind of kind of almost in a certain sense the reverse of the McEwen effect, kind of a few or McRuthers effect from like the last season, right, where it was like. McRuthers could do really well when they were in the B, the B events, but every time they got to the slams, they just get annihilated. I'm wondering if that might be part of the explanation for Schuster not getting as many points because they're playing harder events. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's certainly like Dropkin getting into a slam and putting on a good show there was great, but it's, it was winning the Tier 2 that qualified them for that event, whereas I think Schuster mostly qualified on previous year points. So... Uh, sometimes it's kind of a classic thing in curling, right? You have, a, I think, actually the other team that was that had a year a bit like that is in Ontario, Scott McDonald. That kind of last year had mm-hmm. that dream run. 
you kind of then can parlay the fact you're the briar to getting invites to all the top tier events. And at that level, they struggled a bit. So they've kind of fallen a bit, a bit back to the rest of the field. So I'm wondering if that's one possible explanation for the, the different results uh, here this year, as opposed to just kind of a drop off in form, which means that maybe Schuster's a bit more dangerous uh, than he looks just but going off straight up order of merit points. Well, yeah, I mean, just <laughs> off. If you look at the the totality of what these teams are, Schuster's team has to be the favorite, and it's kind. Of, you go back to what we kind of talked about with Jamie Sinclair, like kind of what he does is win this event. My, so, my, since you're mentioning Rich, I was kind of doing a curling zone surfing as one does, and did a deep dive into his season and discovered that he's had this really funny rivalry with Yap Van Dorp's team. I think they played each other like five, six times this year, but it's like all over the world. It's like they played each other in China, some event in Europe, I think, somewhere in Canada, and then down in the US too. So it's kind of, they've kind of had this funny rivalry all year. And so I was like, oh, that, that, and, and actually pretty evenly matched in terms of results. So uh, I'm kind of pulling for a ruin into win, just and kind of Yaps already qualified. So to have like <laughs> to have like the final resolution at the Worlds in terms of the ruin in versus Van Dorp uh, rivalry <laughs> for this year. And if you actually go over the record, it's actually they're actually pretty evenly matched. So that could be a an interesting game uh, come World times if Ruin can get out of uh, get out of the USA. Honestly, I don't know who out of these. I mean, I assume it's going to be one of these three teams. I have no idea who I think is is going to win this year. I'd I'd have to default to Schuster, but because I just I think we're about a year away from any kind of changing of the guard of Team Dropkin breaking through. Um, here's a question for you though, Jonathan. If if Schuster's team does not win this championship. Yeah, or even if they do win it and they go to Worlds and have a disappointing Worlds, do you think we might see any lineup shuffling or any kind of a change on that team? Uh, I don't think so. I mean, who who you think would they who would they swap out? Well, I have no idea. I mean, but when when I watch this team, and I you know I watch them very much as an amateur. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Just something seems off just not at something seems just not the same as what i've seen out of team schuster before the olympics during the olympics or even last year i don't know just something seems something seems different i have no i can't even say what it i don't even know what it is i don't think it's a i don't think it's a team dynamics issue um but yeah, they, they just they just seem a little off. Like even when I was watching them when they were in Phoenix, they just seemed a little off. I don't know. Yeah, I think the one big difference I think is while Plies is kind of every bit the shooter that that Ty Ty is and was, uh, I think Ty George was a little bit better at kind of keeping Matt Hamilton calm and keeping Schuster in a good headspace. I think I think Plies is a bit more introverted. It's kind of just my mm-hmm. observation. Whereas. Um, you know, Tyler George, he kind of had a knack for kind of knowing when to crack a joke, when to calm someone down, and when to when to kind of keep everyone on the same page and get serious, kind of in that that classic vice role. Yeah. So it implies is just a bit quieter, just a bit more of an introvert. So that might lead to a slight slight tweaking of the team dynamic a bit. Um, but I mean, the other explanation might just be burnout, right? I think 
I, I don't think they break up simply. It's no. really rare for Olympic champs to break up just because yeah. there's so much money. Um, <laughs> and, and especially with Schuster, it's like, it's that whole team. They're, they're basically, you know, if like Schuster and say Matt Hamilton were to split, I, I, I don't know if the team could, could continue to make the kind of sponsorship money they're making. It's a different kind of economy, right? So it's really where you, most Olympic champion teams kind of at least go through the next quad with before making a change, if not even longer, right? So I would say that they're in it through this quad. I do wonder what happens at the end of the quad. Like, I, I do think it's an interesting question about you've been to Worlds a lot. You've got your gold medal. Um, are other things coming up in your personal life and kind of with your career, with your family, maybe, maybe you're just kind of like, well, I've done all there is to do in this game. I'll take a step back. Or is it, are there, are there as a kind of first American gold medalist champs in a kind of a different situation where uh, they actually can just kind of keep curling at a high level, fully funded into their forties. So my money would be on them staying together through this quad. And then I'd kind of take a look in two years time to see what's going on. And I, I think, I think Schuster wants to be the first U.S. team to win a Tier One Grand Slam. Yeah. So I, I don't see him going anywhere anytime soon. Um, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. Something just as an amateur who has watched that team play on television a lot, they just, I don't know. Something seems, something seems different i don't even know if if off is the right word to use just something seems different and yeah i don't know they could um they could come out and uh and just go undefeated and roll through this roll through this whole field and make another world's playoffs and oh well (laughs) forget everything i just said right (laughs) yeah i mean i do think there's two other dangerous teams in this field too so uh, Todd Burr is always dangerous. I think he's kind of, he's always, he's always kind of, maybe not dangerous to win, but certainly dangerous, dangerous enough to A, make playoffs. So maybe block one of the top teams from make a playoff spot and B, certainly winning a semifinal and kind of making a mess of the bracket. Mm-hmm. So that's a dangerous team. And then I didn't even know Craig, until Craig you Brown was that way for forever. Yeah, the Todd Tubber definitely does that. And then the the most interesting team, I think, is this. I'm, I'm going to mangle his name, but Dominic Mayerke, Stephen Dropkin team, right? That you kind of tipped off is based out of Arkansas and um, kind of bringing in a, a kind of former elite player from Switzerland. Uh, that's kind of an interesting angle, right? So, uh, you you know, don't aren't as high up in the order of merit points, but certainly have a veteran skip who who may kind of be able to do some damage too. Yeah, and then uh, the other teams in the field, uh, Scott Dunham, uh, he was a points qualifier, did not have to go to the challenger round. Uh, Jed Brundage back in the championship playing with Evan Workin, and uh, we'll note Kevin Rittenauer, their lead. Uh, The only arena curler, I believe, in the field, he skipped the Sioux Falls Curling Club entry into Arena Nationals last year, so always good to see an arena curler at U.S. Nationals. Um, Steven Berklid's team is in, they were the alternate team. And basically I think the deal was if, uh, Luke Violet's team, cause they, they were one of the C qualifiers at the challenger round. I think the deal was if they won 
the U.S. Junior Nationals, and therefore we're going to Worlds that the alternate team would get in. And I think that's that's what happened here. So you have Stephen Berkeley going back to Nationals. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chase Sinnott is in. They are a high-performance junior team. They actually did not – they were not the runner-up at Juniors uh, – Team Tuma was the runner-up, and that's that's a team I always think is interesting, just because um, the the skip of Team Tuma wears a Richmond Flying Squirrels hat in his curling zone photo, and I think it's hilarious. Uh, so, that, <laughs> so that's a team I always root for whenever I'm scoreboard watching. Uh, but Chase Sennett is there as a high-performance junior team, and uh, Kyle Kakla is going to be there. And as we talked about uh, with Joe Calabrese on the last show, their lead, J.P. Munich, he's the he's the kid who throws uh, with his mitt in his mouth. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be fun to watch too. Um, yeah. Jonathan, we will go over to your neck of the woods next and the Scottish nationals. Uh, they have not announced the teams that are going to be uh, participating in Scottish nationals yet, but we do have an, we have a pretty good idea of who's going to be there, right? Hey everybody, it's Ryan. Hey, right after we recorded this, Scotland did announce their teams list for their championship of eight teams on each side, single round robin, top three teams making a page playoff. On the men's side, you have Bruce Mount, Ross Patterson, Ross White, Cameron McNay, Cameron Bryce, Luke Carson, Glenn Muirhead, and Murray Young. On the women's side, Eve Muirhead, Sophie Jackson, Rebecca Morrison with Maggie Wilson, Beth Farmer, Rachel Dakers, Haley Duff, Lisa Davey, and Susan Keesley. So, those are that's the information that we have on the Scottish Championship. Enjoy the rest of the show. Uh, on the men's, I think it's pretty clear, and actually, it's a really deep field, right? Um, what do they got? They got five teams in the top thirty-five, and the lowest ranked team is the Olympic team from twenty eighteen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> So, uh, so the Glenn Muirhead rank is 35th uh, this year. I think probably the two names that if you're not following Scottish curling all that closely, um, you may not know as well as Ross White, who's been at the last few World Juniors and actually gave up the last year of eligibility to to form a competitive team now. I think kind of similar situation to Tyler Tardy where mm-hmm. they wanted to get a jump on the, the Olympic qualifying. Um, uh, we played them uh, this year <laughs> and they made pretty short work of us in four ends. <laughs> so, uh, but that's no shame. Back, back then, uh, I will say our skip was like, who's this Ross White team from Scotland? And uh, we were all like, oh, they're really good. Yeah. And then afterwards, Rob was like, oh yeah, I guess they're really good. And uh They'll be slamming if they haven't already qualified for a slam yet. They'll be they'll be there uh, soon, if not by the end of the season, um, the only, early next. Yeah, the thing that was disappointing was at juniors last year in 2019, Ross White actually lost in the semifinal, which if he had won would have set up a rematch from the 2018 gold medal game between him and Tardy. And that 2018 gold medal game that Tardy won in Scotland was – um, was just an insane game that I remember. Um, went to an extra end and Tardy wound up drawing, uh, drawing to win, uh, in an extra end, I think. Um, so that was disappointing to see. And yeah, same thing. Um, 
gives up his last year of eligibility and is now on the men's circuit. Um, I think I think you will look back at that game, uh, those games, as kind of an international rivalry on par with Johnny Moe and Dave Murdoch. Wow! I, mean, I think that, I think the, I I think both those teams, both those skips for sure, but both their teams are really good. Kind of have the potential to be dominant for the next ten to fifteen years uh, in world curling. Like I, I think you know, tar, Tardy may take them a little bit more while to punch through. I uh, did like the elite Canadian ranks, but uh, I think they both have that potential to be kind of on the scene for a long period of time. So you're thinking like the 2025 worlds, we'll see Tardy and White dueling. Maybe. I mean, yeah, some sometime in this decade uh, is, is a potential matchup, I'd say. Um, and it, then the fourth team is probably the one that uh, – People may know the least, but it's Cammy Bryce's team, who was kind of he's he's kind of been the bubble team for the performance squad. He was in the squad two years ago, out of it last season, back in this was, season. It's because he was playing in as a Swede last year. <laughs> well, I think Cammy's another guy who's kind of played run into, and he's kind of like he'll just go play wherever. <laughs> like you know, like some some pro players are just like they're only going to play pro stuff. I think you know Cammy. It's like we're we're playing in the Haggis, which is a very <laughs> like. There's no order of merit points for the Haggis. You win. What do you, what do you win, Ryan? Do you think? Uh, I, I'm guessing you win a Haggis. You win a Haggis, <laughs> a little bottle of famous Grouse whiskey. So, See, I feel, I feel <laughs> like the so we're signed up. We're signed up for the Haggis loser. last year, and into the locker room, Cammy walks, and we're like. Oh, I wonder who he's playing against. And it's like, it turns out he's playing against us. <laughs> so, um, I mean, I, I think he he's a really good shot maker. And uh, the other thing is he's got he's got um, a pretty good vision. But the times I've played with him and also watched curling with him, he's he's one of those guys who sees angles uh, kind of almost instinctively. So he's he's kind of an interesting player and put on a he's been on tour. Um, not hasn't quite had the season that Ross White has, but still has kind of climbed up to thirty first in the world. Um, made it to the quarterfinals in that tier two challenge uh, and had a kind of couple of quality wins too uh, as well. So, and they've, they've kind of done really well in the European tour and had a good run in Canada. So that's, I, I don't think they'll win, but I, I personally, I think uh, White's got a real shot to win his first year out. Uh, more, you know, finished third out of three teams in the European qualifier. So uh, like Scottish curling is really deep at the moment. Like any of those five teams could come out of it. Any of those top five teams in the 35 in the top, top uh, those five teams, in the top 35 could come out of it. This, this uh, out of this event. Uh, does it seem like Ross White got some of the funding that used to go to Muirhead's team? Cause Muirhead's team only made it to Canada for two spiels. And I think it was in back to back weeks, but other than that has not left Europe. Uh, I don't know. Technically, well, we could go check. I, I, I think I'm, I'm not sure. I'd have to go dig up the. the, the <laughs> you have to go on the brain. Yeah, you've asked me a question that I could answer with more research if we had a better research <laughs> budget department, or if my moles, <laughs> my moles in this in British curling, if I'd kind of bothered to ask them by text. But um, <laughs> uh, I don't quite know. I'm not quite sure. So basically. What I'm not sure is there's, they basically have funding for three teams that are kind of what they call podium, and they have a couple of slots called podium potential. And uh, all five of those teams are kind of in the podium program, but 
uh, how they bounce around between podium and podium potential, uh, I think largely depends upon results. And I think it's normal. The decisions normally made at the start of the season. So could be that could just be that they liked playing spiels somewhere else. I'm tired of going to Canada. Uh, didn't like Tim Hortons. Don't know. <laughs> I can't imagine that. He doesn't like Tim Hortons. Hortons is kind of, Tim Hortons is kind of hard to defend. I have to. What? <laughs> when I was first, when I was first dating Alice, what? um, we we kind of I bring her to Canada, and I'm really excited. I'm like, let's go to Timmy's and get a donut and a coffee. <laughs> and she was like, first of all, that coffee's terrible, and second of all, this donut's nothing compared to a Krispy Kreme. And that was like a moment of crisis in our relationship because wow. it's like. You're, but then, after a few years, I had to admit that Tim Hortons coffee is not that great. And so I, we'll, we'll probably never get sponsored by Tim Hortons now, but uh, I no, you have you have ruined this for me because I I, I actually I order their coffee in bulk, um, and that's that yes, and that's what I drink. Oh wow! So yeah. you're like a, a partisan. I mean, I drank a lot of Timmy's in undergrad. I will say, Man. but you know when like your wife or your partner says something you like. <laughs> It's bad. And it just kind of ruins it for you. you know, I mean, it could be that. Or it could be like you have your favorite sweater and it's like, eh. And then you just can't ever see it the same way again. Have you ever had that happen yet? Um, <laughs> no. Probably, prob- probably. Probably with curling and doing this yeah. podcast. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> So anyway, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, uh, they're probably gonna, they're probably going to revoke my Canadian passport now for this, but uh, they should have already. Um, uh, yeah, probably for other reasons, but yeah. All right, so <laughs> so like you said, Bruce Mowat, who is fourth in order of merit, which you hate order of merit, but he's fourth in order of merit. Um, has been to the last two worlds. Finished third out of three at the qualifier to represent Scotland at at Euros this year. Ross Patterson mm-hmm. won uh, and finished third at Euros. Um, what what should we expect out of this? Should we expect Mowat to to win again or demolition or derby? Demolition! Wow, it's going to awesome. be. This is going to be. Uh, this is going to be the Scottish equivalent of the 93 Briar, where the field's so deep, you're going to end up with some crazy tiebreaker situation. I'm calling it now. All right. What, uh, yeah. Do we even know what format they're using yet? Uh, I think normally it's like a round robin with um, a semifinal and final. Usually there's like eight or nine teams in this. They just they haven't posted all of the teams that are in the yet. Usually McDonald plays in this thing anyway, right? Even though he doesn't play yeah. a whole lot of spiels, just kind of shows up and beats some youngins at at this event. Yeah. It's kinda I, I kinda I have a special place in my heart for kind of like these veterans who just like the Cassie Potters, you know, McDonald's sort of like Todd Burr. It's just like all right, maybe I'll play one or two spiels. That's all I got time for. Show up, beat up somebody young, have some fun, ruin ruin one of the favorite teams' weeks. <laughs> uh, there's something there's something sweet about that, I think. Um, so there'll, there'll be a bit of that. I don't quite know. Um, I think 
with so it's interesting on the women's there's definitely been a move to try to expand the number of kind of high performance teams and definitely on the men's side kind of five being at least getting some kind of fairly deep level of funding on the women's side it's still a pretty big gap although we we both embarrassed ourselves last year when we basically said well he's obviously going to win this and and then she lost to sophie jackson four times yeah (laughs) so that is curling you can never never count anyone out um i'm not sure i mean she never i never heard eve blame the hip but you, you always wonder if uh that injury or the recovery from that injury was a factor there last year but she certainly has seemed better this year oh, back yeah. in the top 10 second, second at europeans so second at europeans um qualified at a slam first at mm-hmm. oakville first first uh first event of the year goes out and wins at oakville uh won recently at the perth masters um i mean i think she's back yeah i'd say she's back i think the third team rebecca morrison's potentially the one to watch um She's not too far behind Sophie Jackson on the order of merit. Actually, has a, a slight winning advantage at two to one against her this season. Uh, there's a good chance that the Morrison rank could kind of, if not this year, very soon, kind of become the second, second best uh, women's team in in Scotland. And I mean, this is good to have actually three teams ranked uh, this highly because that that wasn't even the case last year. So there's, there's definitely also a bit more growth here on the women's side. Yeah, and uh, those are really the only three teams that I imagine that I have a good feeling are going to be there. I have no idea how many women's teams are are going to be there, but uh, I can't imagine that any team that we haven't mentioned here uh, winds up winning either of these tournaments. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the one so the, they do tend to populate the the field with junior teams, especially once the, this had the juniors last um, weekend wrap up and the Craig team won um the men's i can't remember who i think beth farmer won the women's but for the women's because they're they're they didn't get out of the b pool uh that championship didn't go anywhere so there's a good chance there'll be you know two three oh, yeah. junior teams entered as well that kind of are like the playoff teams from that so uh so that event's going to be february 8th through 15th in perth scotland where what's where is perth uh in Scotland. <laughs> like where? I don't know. Uh, you drive up, uh, you go to Stirling, you turn right. What I think. I don't know. So like closer to the border? Is it up north? No, it's, so it's basically north of... Uh, so it's basically this belt of... So the border is like Dumfries and all that stuff. Dumfries, yeah. Lockerbie, Steinrar, that's kind of along the border. Border curling at the other end. Uh, then you've got kind of the main urban strip in uh, Scotland, which is Glasgow to Edinburgh. It's kind of like a, a highway that connects them. And then in between them is Stirling, which is where the National Training Center is. Um, and a lot of national mon- uh, monuments there to Scottish uh, battles where they beat the English. So it's kind of a nice patriotic part of Scotland. And then Perth's a little bit further up from there. So. Cool. Yeah, and this is at the uh, Dewar not, Center, and uh, I'm I'm pretty happy yeah. with that uh, with with that arena sponsorship. That's pretty good. Right. Did my Scottish geography make any sense at all? 
south of Aberdeen, north of Edinburgh and Glasgow. Okay. Kind of a little bit westish of uh, Dundee. Okay. St. Andrews, sort of. Is it known for anything? Uh, the Super League's pretty good. Okay. So for, <laughs> it's known for long ball. It's known for bowls. Have you seen this video that went viral of this bowls? The bowls is basically carpet bowling. Uh, oh yeah, I did see that. That was at Perth. <laughs> yeah, I think it was at Perth. Video, oh yeah, the well, video the that everyone. Part, the first time I went to the rink, I was like, ah, oh, well, this is like where the Mirrorheads play. I was like very excited to be in like one of the big Scottish curling rinks, and I got there, and it became immediately obvious that curling is like a fourth-rate tenant in this facility, <laughs> and the bowls is the main thing. So there's like TV cameras and some weird-ass bowl stadium, and it's so bowls is very big there. What, uh, um, what what Jonathan is referring to is there was a video that went viral last week of this guy making this insane in basically lawn bowling shot. Um, it's not not bocce lawn bowling where uh, yeah. the ball basically or like carpet bowling. Yeah, carpet bowling where the, the indoor ball lawn curled, bowling. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, the ball curled uh, in between two for lack of a better word, guards, uh, and went right up against the, whatever you, I don't know what they call the smaller ball in, I think that's um, the jack in, or something in, uh, in lawn bowling, um, yeah. to score, to sit two points. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm odds are if you're on Twitter at all, you probably saw it. Yeah. I mean, it's the way he hooked it around and yeah. then it's almost like you're, it's not drawn, it's drawn through a port, but kind of basically hooking it all the way around to the T line, then taking, a 90 degree turn mm-hmm. between two stones over to the pin. And because in bowls, you can move the pin, move the pin the exact right distance so that he's sitting two and cutting the other, the other guy out. So yeah, it was awesome. All right. Yeah, I did not know that was in, did not know that was in Perth. Um, I don't know if that exact one was in Perth, uh, but it, the doer center has a big bowls thing. I'm sure I'll get a text message from one of our Scottish sources correcting me about first, my geography and second, my understanding of bowls, but anyway. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's go to Switzerland. Yeah. All right. Back to the Alps. The Swiss championships this year is highly populated with teams that have gone to a lot of tour events and for the most part are either a junior team or are in the top 100 in order of merit. Um, how does this work in Switzerland? Are there a bunch of teams that receive funding or is this all on your own? How is it kind of, how does their program kind of work? I think it's all on your own. I don't, I didn't really get, um, much detail. We, we played, um, Martin Rios's team at the mix, the world mixed. And we kind of asked him a bit about how the mixed work. And there was like, just, he said, well, 16 teams qualify for the national and then it's a, a tournament. Um, so there, there certainly isn't funding. I imagine the elite teams get funding, but I think it's more on the Canadian model okay. where, um, the funding's allocated based on performance on tour and kind of at the, at the events. And they've got, they've got a kind of slightly different format where it's a round Robin and then another mini round Robin. Yep. Is it with a top two or three? It's like the I top. It's a, three. I think it's the top three or four, depending on how many are in there. And basically, basically, if a team wins all of its games in both round robins, there is no playoff. Um, yeah, basically how it works. But um, 
Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do a round robin and then they cut it down to, I think, four, three or four, and then they play again. And then either the top, and then the top two, depending on how they've done against each other, either the second place team has to beat the first place team twice, or there's only one championship game. Yeah. Or there are no champ, or there is no playoff, depending on how the two round robins go. Um, Interesting in Switzerland, where so their their Europeans representative was based entirely on order of merit points, and Yannick mm-hmm. Schwaller uh, did well enough on tour, especially early in the year, that he edged out um, the world the world the world's representative uh, Peter de Cruz's team. Uh, so Yannick Schwaller went to Euros and finished second, losing to Nicholas Adine in the final. Um, so that sets Hello? up kind of a somewhat similar situation to the U.S. Um, nationals, where you have two very, very good teams, uh, or similar to the U.S. women's side, where you have two very, very good teams and then a little bit of a drop and then kind of a bunch of teams that are that are very similar. Um, last year, it was Schwaller and DeCruz to decide who went to Worlds. I imagine it will be the same way, but they have... Um, I think, yeah, there's six teams out of the eight that are in the top 100. So a lot of depth there in Switzerland. Um, I still think it's a little top heavy. I would be stunned if the final involved a team that was not to Cruiser Schwaller. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially that format, I think, gives definitely favors the strong. Like basically, the more reps you have... Eventually, the the quality is going to come out. So the the second round, the the kind of championship round, if you will, I think is a pretty good advantage for Schwaller and Schwartz and uh, and De Cruz. Yeah. Um, I think the women's side is way more interesting, right? Because you've yep. got like you can go five deep with uh, world champions there, right? Like, you you have very similar storylines on both the women's side and the men's side. You had two teams that brought in a player who had been skipping their own team to form basically a super team that their goal Mm -hmm. was not to win the Swiss championships. Their goal was not even to win the world championships. Their goal was to, at the end of four years, to win a Olympic gold medal. And those two, the DeCruz team bringing in Sven Mihel and uh, Team Tiranzoni bringing in Alina Patz to throw fourth rocks. And those two teams, who are very veteran teams, very used to winning, now all of a sudden have two younger teams who are really close to usurping them. So Schwaller's team beat them out in points, went to Euros, currently is actually ahead in order of merit, um, still against uh, DeCruz's team. Mm-hmm. And then on the women's side, the Elena Stern team, especially this season, has really been on the rise. And you look at what they've done. They, they won the Swiss Cup, which is basically a basically kind of a triple knock style tournament that they do with just Swiss teams. And a lot of the, a lot of the births for, for this championship are decided there. They won it. Um, they came over to Canada. They won the Canad ends. Um, they've qualified for, they qualified for all four slams. 
Um, they didn't have a ton of luck at those swam- at those slams, but they did make quarterfinals at the national and at the masters. So you have these two younger teams who are right there uh, against these two teams that that put themselves together, thinking that they were going to be the Swiss team and and really. Um, were contenders for an Olympic gold medal. And now they've got to fend off these younger teams for the next three years. Yeah. And then I think, again, this is a, dan- a dangerous veteran world champion team, Binia Felscher, who's hasn't been slamming, but, uh, st- you know, still top 30. Um, I guess they did the tier two, but, uh, and, and semifinals at Glen Hill Ladies. So, that's a team that I think has done everything. And so they can certainly turn it on uh, when it matters. And so they're, they're a pretty dangerous team, even if we're expecting it to come out of those top two, uh, that Felcher team's got two world championships in the last decade. So um, they're not going to be a pushover team either. Five of the seven teams at, on the women's side uh, for the Swiss are in the top 77 uh, the t- team Tiranzoni, team Stern, team Felcher, uh, Irene Shorey's team, uh, mm-hmm. Corey Herleman's team, a team I had not heard of and is in fact 77th in order of merit is, uh, Nora Wiest. Um, and then there's a junior team, um, skipped by Emma Suter that, uh, rounds out the women's field in Switzerland. Um, this will be February 9th through 16th in Thun, Switzerland. Am I saying that right? Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't speak Swiss um, German. So, right. uh, <laughs> this, this will, this, this, the German part. this will be, uh, live streamed on the Swiss curling YouTube channel. What will be interesting to see when you're going through and looking at matchups, um, to try and decide whether a game's worth, um, watching or not, they won't list the teams by who the skip is. They will list the teams by their team name. And the team name is usually based off of either where they're from or um, who their sponsor is. Um, so when you're looking at that, uh, Schwaller's team is Team uh, Bern Zeringer. Uh, De Cruz's team, uh, they are Team Geneva. Uh, Jan Hess's team is Zug Kablex. And then on the women's side, uh, Tiranzoni is Arau HBL. Uh, Stern's team is Oberwallis. Felcher's team is Langenthal. So if you see those kind of listed um when they're showing, when they're saying which games are going to be streamed, you know, look for those, and those are your your big name teams if you're looking to watch them at the at the Swiss Championship. And that's a good segue because another country that does that is Japan. Is Japan, yes. And a lot of, again, it's based uh, their their team names are kind of based off of either where they're from or who their sponsor is. Um, Again, like we said, the men's side, they this will not be for a world's birth, which is too bad because they've got three teams in the top 50 of order of merit. And it's really it's it's really too bad because on the men's side in Japan, women's curling has been very well supported and the men's side kind of of kind of wasn't mainly because mm-hmm. um the Japanese women have had a lot of success on tour and a lot of success at worlds. Um, and it's just been a lot more popular than the men's game. And there was a story that was tweeted that I, I saw it and I'll try to find it and tweet it out again. Um, that was kind of about how the men's game has finally started to kind of catch up in terms of popularity. Like, um, 
they were talking about uh, a tournament earlier this year. I think they were talking. I think it was the Hokkaido Bank Championship, where it used to be the women's final would be first, and every, every, the stands would be packed. Everyone would be super into it, and then the women's game would end, and everyone would leave, and everything would be empty for for the men's final. And they were saying mm-hmm. that that recently at one of the big tournaments. Um, People stuck around, and the, the the stands were still packed for the men's tournament. So it's too bad that, as that's happening, as the men's game is getting more popular in Japan, that you know this isn't for this isn't for a spot at Worlds. But the winner of this tournament will be representing Japan at next year's PACCs, where they will be playing for a spot at the 2021 Worlds. Um, the other, the other big thing is this is the first year that world's points count for uh, getting to the Olympics. So that's why it's even more important that Japan did not qualify this year. Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting. And it's for, you know, going from fourth to not even in the worlds, my hunch is WCF's going to have to, to take a long, hard look at the end of this quad at the size of the world field. Um, they may have to go to kind of basically a briar format. Because uh, the world is getting that deep, and just kind of have sixteen teams enter, uh, maybe do pro- maybe do promotion relegation and relegation to some kind of world B for the next twenty four down say or something. But it's it's just kind of getting to uh, too deep that you've got a team that finished fourth in the world last year and, and can't even get the country can't even get back mm-hmm. to the worlds this year. So part of it was they just had a bad week. I watched that team. Um... I watched that team, the couple of games that they got to play at the world qualifier that were streamed and their, their rock positioning was just off and they, they, they finished third in the round robin. So they only, they only had one crack at qualifying for worlds. So the, the team one and team two played each other. Um, and then, so, uh, China beat Russia. So then Russia played Japan for the last spot. And in that game, um, Yuta's rock, Yuta and his team, like their rock positioning was just off and they got zero misses out of Russia. And that's mm-hmm. kind of, Russia was able to kind of control it throughout um, to, to win that game. So they were, they were just a little off. Um, I don't know if part of it was the travel or, or what the travel didn't seem to affect uh, the Chinese team, but um, yeah, just, they didn't have their best week and they picked a bad week to not have their best week. Um so Yuta Matsumura's team, um, as the defending champion, they are in this tournament. Um, their third, Tetsuro Shimizu, used to play with uh, Yusuke Morizumi, who was the previous Olympic skip for Team Japan. And when Morizumi's, the, the depth in men's curling in Japan has kind of started to match the depth in women's curling. And the reason for that is... Morizumi's team broke up right before last season. So that team breaks up. Shimizu goes to uh, this team with Yuta Matsumura. Um, Yusuke Morizumi takes the year off, comes back this year, starts a new team with his brother playing lead. His brother played with him uh, at the Olympics. They bring in Masaki Iwe, who played with Go Aoki at previous tournaments. Um, and then the other player from, for that team, uh, Suyoshi Yamaguchi, uh, starts his own team after spending a year kind of focusing on uh, mixed doubles. So that team breaking up has spawned three very solid 
men's teams in Japan, uh, Team Matsumura, Team Yamaguchi, and uh, Yusuke Morizumi's uh, new team. Um, another team that uh, will be there that's very solid is uh, Junpei Kanda. He was the runner-up last year uh, out of Tokyo. After that, there's a pretty steep drop-off in terms of quality. What is interesting is they, they changed the way that this tournament is populated this year. So it used to be the previous year's champion, the previous year's runner-up, um, three bids for the Hokkaido block, and then one bid each for uh, Kanto, Tohoku, and uh, West Japan, which is Nishi, Nishi Nippon. So they've changed that up. Now all the blocks only get one team into the field. And then you have the champion, the runner up, uh, a WCT points, the top team in the WCT and points, and then a wild card. There's going to be a mini wild card tournament with all of the teams that finish second at all of the block tournaments are going to be playing for one wild card spot in, oh. uh, in this tournament. So we'll find that that team won't be decided until the day before uh, this tournament kicks off. So there'll be four teams fighting for a wild card spot, five teams fighting for five, there's five blocks. Yeah. Five teams Uh, fighting for one wild card spot and they're doing it single knock in one day. Wow. So basically (laughs) seeding and then you play you. So you may have to play a, like a guess, whatever that is a playing game, then a semi, then a final. Correct. Yeah. Wow. It's going to be wild. I like it. Yeah. I like I this too. setup. Um, um, it, but it's kind of interesting. Like the, the high performance thing has kind of trickled down to Japan now. Cause now, you know, they redid the way they do the way that they, um, the way that they allocate the, um, the block qualifications and added and added this, uh, this world curling tour qualifier. It's kind of messed up the way that they're used to things happening there. Yeah. I like it. I think they should just give it to whoever, whichever team has the highest order of merit points going into the championship. <laughs> That's just your winner. Why not? <laughs> why? Why bother with a national championship? Is that what you're saying? I mean, I'm I I'm being very sarcastic there. Obviously. I mean, I, I, I do think it's fair to say the top place team or the top two teams order of merit get a berth right away into the the playoffs. Um, but I'm still kind of old fashioned in the sense that I like some kind of regional qualification format if it's uh, deep enough. It seems like they've found a good mix that if you are going to bring in kind of the high high performance aspect to it, but still allowing the, um, those blocks to, to send teams to this event. Because really, you think about it, the other four blocks that aren't Hokkaido, because Hokkaido would get three spots. Those other four blocks now get one additional spot if you consider getting to go to the wild card tournament as as being a spot. Yeah, I mean, I, I would do that. Um, I mean, I think, that, and this is actually what order of merit points are for. So they, they actually are kind of the measure who's performed well over the season. And it's, as long as it's kind of clear the start of the season, what the, what the events are, how many events you can kind of use towards your, your points for qualification. Uh, I have no problem in kind of, uh, kind of seeding the pools or filling the pools that way at all. I'm just, uh, I'm just a skeptic when it comes to using the ranking as kind of to say that team is definitely going to beat that team. So. Yeah, but uh, except they also in Sweden. Oh, (laughs) (laughs) 
which which I guess we'll get to. Um, yeah, we'll mention that at the, we'll mention them at the end. Um, but I did. I think maybe once you get more depth in Japan, but right now the depth the depth in Japan is really there's there's three or four teams that are truly slam quality teams and then that's it um although but that's that's the same as the although, u.s and although really although there's a lot of good junior curlers that are coming up through the ranks in japan right now so watch yeah. watch japanese junior curling um again especially on the women's side but the the men's side too um japan junior curling and, is, is on the rise and the asian the kind of quality of Asian WCT events is going up every year. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that can only help kind of grow the depth, right? That if you don't have to travel to play good quality yep. competition, you can kind of build your kind of build your resume close to home, at least when you're starting off that, that definitely helps too. So, and that's not just for Japan, but also for China and Korea, you can definitely yep. see the the kind of circuit that's emerging in the Asia Pacific region. Yeah. With, um, with the world curling tour start, starting basically a Japanese um, section of the world curling tour, you saw a lot more tournaments uh, in Japan this year being worth mm-hmm. points and being a part of uh, of the WCT program. So that was great to see, and you saw uh, a few of these a few of these teams that um, are are these regional teams that can't afford to come over to Canada and play a few spiels. You saw them consistently entering the the WCT tournaments in Japan and, and racking up points and kind of bettering themselves before going to their um, going to their regional playdown. Um, men's side in Japan between the three the three main teams are Morizumi, Yamaguchi, and Matsumura. Um, so I'm interested to see which of those three teams winds up winning. Um, I kind of, you know, the Morizumi team is clearly coming together. They're not quite, they're not nearly at the same level as the team was the team that went to the Olympics. Um, I think it might be a couple of years before we see their final form, basically. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I, if I had to bet on it, I'd say Yuta wins this tournament, but I would not be surprised at all if Yasuke Morizumi's team does. Yeah, I think that seems fair. Yep. Those are probably the two favorites and... You know, Yamaguchi could play a bit of a spoiler, I'd say. Uh, women's side, the big four are all there. Tori Kawana won the Kanto uh, regional tournament to make sure that they were all there. Uh, Satsuki Fujisawa's team, they were the runner-up last year. Um, team Nakajima was your champion last year. Um, they went to... Uh, they represented Japan at Worlds, and they were second at the PACCs this year. Uh, Tori Kawana, who played in Worlds a couple of years ago, like we said, she's going to be there. And uh, Sayaka Yoshimura, who we've seen at a couple of slams this year as well. Uh, they actually finished second at the Masters, losing to Flurry. Um, and then that was in the first slam of the year. They unfortunately just went 2-10 and ten in their next uh, three slams, but... Very solid team, very experienced team. Those four teams I just mentioned, they have all won this tournament sometime in the last five years. Fujisawa's team, I think, would be the favorite. Um, But Yoshimura, 
Yoshimura's had just as many, if not more, um, impressive victories on tour as Fujisawa. But I'd say those team, those two teams, in my mind, are one and two. But uh, Team Nakajima is your defending champion, so who knows? Yeah, I think yeah, the, uh, yeah, probably Fujisawa Yoshimura are probably your two, like one A, one B. But mm-hmm. yeah, the other, as you said, the other three have uh, all done damage lately. So and. I do want to say Tori Kawana's team has had a, a pretty remarkable um, record on tour this year. They, they've they won 53 games. They finished second at one spiel in Morris, Manitoba. They won a spiel in Halifax. They won a spiel in Kelowna. They made the semifinals in Red Deer. Um, you know, this team that's had a, a That's a crazy number of games. They're yeah. 50 and 30. 53 yeah. and 30. That is a, that's yeah. a lot of kind of tour games uh, and a lot of them the a lot of them in canada and they had they actually had a lineup change at the beginning of the year they changed their third um so i was kind of expected them to maybe take a little bit of a slide this year but they've actually improved so any of those four could win it um i'd kind of like to see yoshi uh, i'm sorry i'd like i'd kind of like to see fujisawa win it just because i like seeing her at worlds um but yeah any of those four uh could win it um this will be February 8th through 16th in Karazawa. Uh, it will be streamed um, on the Japan Curling YouTube channel, and I'll tweet out those links. And again, um, they use the team name. So on the women's side, you're looking for Loco Solar. That's Fujisawa's team. Hokkaido Bank is Yoshimura. Fuji Q is Tori Kawana. And Chubu Electric Power is Team Nakajima. So look for those team names when you're looking to watch uh, the games. Um, on the men's side, Kansadol is Matsumura. SC Karazawa is Yamaguchi. And TM Karazawa is Morizumi. Should we do finish up with Sweden? Um, a deep dive into the not- 17th ranked team in Sweden. Let's not do a deep dive. It's 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 late for both of us. Uh, Sweden is February fifth through 9th in Jan Choping. Um, Edin's going to win on the men's side, and Hasselbrick's going to win on the women's side. I, the only wrinkle on that is Warana is starting. She's cracked the top twenty, uh, and she's had a pretty good run. She had a really good run at the Glen Hill Ladies. Probably not yet this year because Hasselbrick's kind of still. On top of the world, but sometime soon, Milana is going to start kind of challenging, and the Swedish curling got a bit more interesting than I'd say. And Magnuson, Daniel Magnuson, for this in the men's, they're probably they're not going to beat Adin in the men's, but they are the junior team. Are they going to be able to play both events or not? I don't know. Uh, they should be able to. This thing's over by the ninth. Okay, so they just hop on a quick plane to Russia. Um, so yeah, they, they're, they, I mean, they, they kind of ran away with the, uh, uh, in their, they're kind of like one of the two top teams in the junior B pool. And I, I would not be surprised if both Germany and Sweden for the juniors end up being kind of medalists. They, they were kind of definitely a step above the rest of the field over the junior Bs. So I think they're a good threat to win a world junior medal, but not a world medal because it's going to be tough to get past team Adin. All right. Uh, Jonathan, any final words of wisdom? We've been doing this for about an hour and 20 minutes. I think we haven't covered the whole world, but we covered a lot of the world. Good. That's what we aim to do here, right? 
Yeah, we're, we're not rocks across the pond anymore. We're now rings around the world. <laughs> I'm not change, I'm not spending all the time and effort that it would take to change the change the name on all of the stream on all of the podcast platforms. So sorry, but you could call you could give that title to this episode if you take suggestions. All right, I'm just saying. Uh, all right, I'll do it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> 45 episodes and I finally got to name an episode. Yay, good job. <laughs> All right. All right. Good luck. Good luck at championships. Uh I'll be rooting for you and uh I will be tweeting out all of your mistakes. All right. I look forward to it. All right. Bye everybody. Goodbye. Thank you for listening to Rocks Across the Pond, a curling podcast. You can find all of our previous episodes and blog posts at rocksacrossthepond.com. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or your favorite podcast app, and leave a review. If you enjoyed listening, the greatest compliment we can receive is when you tell a friend about us. That helps us grow and helps us share our love of this great game. If you have a comment or question, or you just want to talk about curling, you can email us at rocksacrossthepond at gmail.com or find us on Twitter at Curling Podcast. We are also on Facebook and Instagram at Rocks Across the Pond. Thank you again, and we will talk to you real soon.